0: Uh, my name is Ashley Kinsel. This is your first time. Whose first time is it? Wait. It's never been here. Katie? Hi. Yes. Oh, good. We're so glad to have you. Hi. Um, thank you for trusting us with your Wednesday morning. Um, I'm going to start off our year uh, sort of sharing where I've been with the Lord the last uh, couple of, or I'd say the last two weeks. had a really interesting um, start to 2019, and I've kind of debated whether or not to share it, but I feel like it is prophetic for this year, although it was terrifying. Um, last week, I'm in the, the kitchen, and my, it's my, going to be my husband's birthday in a couple days, but all the kids, you know, our college and our high school, everyone was home, and so we thought we'll do it Tuesday, and so I'm in the kitchen, and he wanted fried venison, because that's what my husband likes for his birthday, fried venison. <laughs> And so I've got the skillet going, and you know, we have a gas stove, and so the flame is coming up around the, the, the pan, and I've come home, I've changed, I've got my, my shirt untucked, and I have a tank top underneath, and so I'm sitting there, I'm talking to our high schooler, you know, I'd just seen his uh, grades after the semester, so we were kind of talking about that, and the other two are in the other room, and, and I'm like, I keep smelling this really weird smell. And I'm like, this is so weird. Like, what is it? And I kid you not, I look down, and my entire shirt is in flames. Not even, like, you know, like singeing. I mean, flames to my armpit. And all of a sudden, I just hear, don't run. And so I take my hands, and I just start beating down the flame, because it's now burning into my tank top underneath. Thank God I had a tank top on. So I am beating, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on fire. And I'm beating (laughs) the uh, flames down, and then I get the flames down enough that I can run to the sink to get the, the, the sink, just the water, just douse the whole side of me. But, you know, if you run with the flames, they just get bigger. And, you know, at that point, Georgia comes around. She's like, Mom, mom, are you okay? I'm like, I, I do not know. And I mean, I just, I was like, shut everything down. Like, I need to go upstairs. I, I need to cry. I need to, like, take everything off, and praise God, I did not have a mark on me.
1: <laughs>
0: praise God. And so, do I think God caused me to be on fire? No. But do I think God uses all things for his good? Yes. So I unpacked that with him, and I'm going to speak more about it in this talk, but um, it caught my attention about something because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm literally the burning bush. I, you know, I've always wanted to see the burning bush I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be burned. But then I thought, no, it's more like, you know, the guys that went into the fire, but they didn't get burned. And I feel like in 2019, there is going to be such a, a perishing of all the things that have held us back in the natural, in a, in a good way. Like, it's not going to be painful. You know, we always think, well, I'm going to go through the fire with God, and oh my gosh, it's got to be so painful, and Oh my God, I go through these big trials, but I feel like the Lord's saying in 2019 there's this favor that's going to come upon us as Christians that we are going to go through the fire, but it's not going to be painful. Yes. Yes. It's not going to be painful. And so um, the word that the Lord really gave me for this year, it started off when I was, I happened to be watching. Netflix, if you have college, high school kids, that's all they watch. I mean, I feel like I've, I have every episode of The Office and Friends in my mind because it was just constantly on in our house, and I'm like, y'all, please, like, this is driving me crazy. I'm so used to quiet or music or something. <laughs> but they, you know, they've got Friends going or The Office. And so one night, George and I were watching Netflix, and, and she just, we just happened to pick this one uh, comedic dialogue, and, and the title of it was Relatable. And, and that word kept sticking with me. And I know from uh, my experience with the Lord, when there's something that catches my attention and, and I have a curiosity about it, I know that's sort of like the Lord drawing me in for more. And so I kept tossing that word relatable around. I'm like, Lord, Lord, is that what you're calling us as Christians to be? Are you calling us to be relatable? And he said, no. He goes, I'm calling you to be remarkable, reborn, marked by God, and able to do all things through Christ. That's who I'm calling you to be. He said, when you become relatable in a cultural sense, you begin to deflate your spirit to match and mirror the culture around you. And what happens is that produces this sort of internal suffering because the more I need to be valued, accepted, and recognized by the world around me, the more I will be filled with the dissatisfaction of the world around me. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be searching for satisfaction in the external, and that can never be found. It says, when he was saying, you know, the Bible describes uh, those that continue to search for satisfaction in the world as restless wanderers. And he says, when you are preoccupied with your works, your looks, your striving, your um, your, your, your need to be relatable to the culture to fit in around you, you become a restless wonder. You will continue to look to be self-justified versus spiritually satisfied. All of this is worthlessness towards the Lord. And worthlessness, valuing worthlessness, creates restlessness in us. And in my striving to fit in, I'll dial back as a Christian. I, I'll, I'll shrink my prayers. I will think I need to live small in order to sort of fit in and not offend anybody, to please everyone. I think if if I'm relatable, then then I'll please everybody and everybody's going to like me. And y'all, living small is a lie. You're actually compromising with the darkness when you do that because you're shrinking back to fit into his mold and you're not allowing the Lord to expand you and stretch you to accomplish all that he wants to do through you. God wants to give us something that doesn't pacify us, but possesses us. And that is Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to possess you so that you can live large, so that you can be remarkable, reborn, marked by God, and able to do all things through Christ. And we all will have to come to make a decision of what are we going to do with the great news of God in our life? What are we going to do with this? Are we going to live small and shrink back to fit in? Or are we going to mark the doorpost of our life with remarkable, yes, Lord, I am reborn. I am marked by God. I am able to do all things through Christ. So I begin to unpack each one of these words that he gave me, reborn, because I think we hear that a lot, and it's sort of a cliche almost in our culture. You know, we hear people say, well, I'm reborn, but we don't see the fruit. You know, And so we we tend to shrink back because it sounds trendy or Christian easy or whatever you want to call it. And and being reborn is the understanding and the desire to know that I, of my own self, can do nothing. That is at the heart of being reborn. It's a place of dying to self. It's death to striving, death to perfectionism, death to fear, death to all that I work myself into becoming and allowing the great creator to create me to shape me, to give life to me. It will be that place where pride rears its ugly head and shrieks at the thought of having to concede territory. Because pride says, it's up to me. I make the rules. Pride says, I'm my own little God. Pride says, did God really say that? Does that sound familiar in Genesis when the enemy comes in and say, well, did God really say that? That's, where, that's how pride gets birthed in us. Pride casts doubt on the great miracle of being born again because we are born again because of the complete work of the cross. And what pride does is it blinds us from understanding, accepting, and celebrating the complete work of the cross. But being reborn sounds like this. I won't enter this situation the way I used to with my old pals' worry, anxiety, or manipulation. Being reborn says I will no longer say words that don't bring life because that's not who I am. Being reborn says I will not demean my spirit by taking pop shots at myself because what Christ did for me is enough. You know that when we continue to have that dialogue and we devalue who we are, we are basically saying, Jesus, what you did was maybe enough for everybody else, but it's not enough for me. That's right. That's good. And we don't realize that. Every time I... I demean myself, I degrade myself, I say, God, I'm so stupid, God, I get, I'm never going to get it right, I'm never going to measure up. Whatever it is, the more I do it, the more I am casting doubt, and I'm discarding the complete work of the Christ. And I'm saying, you know what, Jesus, that may have been good enough for everybody, but it wasn't good enough for me. And I don't want to face him one day and say, I didn't think what you did was, was, was good enough for me. You know, we're always going to live, y'all, with this... Um, this earthly dialogue that goes on in one part of our life, we're always going to have those voices that, that want to pull us into the not good enough, never measure up, um, this situation looks bad. We're going to have that earthly dialogue. Just because it, it's popping into your mind doesn't mean it's who you are. Because then you get to stop and choose and say, okay, wait a second, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? Being reborn says, I will not organize my life around controlling others because I know who is in control. Being reborn says, I will no longer pick up old habits that bring false comfort because I know the one who comforts all. See, that is the, is the mind of Christ that we're, that, that we're putting on in our rebirth. I will, I will not look for defects in others. To make myself look good, I will call out the treasure and others, even when they can't see it yet. That's what being reborn looks like. I will walk in the revelation of blessing and leave behind whining and complaining. I will open my eyes and behold his wonders. This is the sound of rebirth. The reborn refuse to live small. The reborn refused to fall asleep to complaining and whining and grumbling. The reborn refused to shrink prayers to fit the status quo because we know we are marked by God and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit as Christ's own forever. That's what reborn looks like. It's not simply a cliche. It's not simply a statement. It is a lifestyle. And being marked by God, the Lord was... Yesterday I was happened to be driving and I was thinking... Asking him about more of that, and he said, Being marked by God is being willing to be a mark of God on this earth. Are you willing to be a mark of God on this earth? Are you willing to have your footprints that you leave, your that, that word we use now, your carbon print, be that of Jesus Christ? In 2 Corinthians 2:15, 2, it talks about the the fragrance. I do believe that being marked by God, we, we simply carry a fragrance. And it says in 2 Corinthians 2.15, I'm reading out of a Passion Translation, by the way, we have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of the Anointed One to God, a perfume of life to those being saved, and the odor of death to those who are perishing. I am convinced that those who are marked by God, and, and when I say that, that is the great circumcision of our heart, when we rend our heart for the Lord to pour into, we carry a fragrance in the spirit world that we don't even understand or fully understand at this moment. Um, on a side note, when, when people talk about the darkness or the demonic, that, all that is, it's like bad B.O. You know, people get afraid of the demonic or the darkness, and it's just bad B.O. It has no substance. So, which means when I walk into the room and I'm carrying the fragrance of Christ,
1: that smell is going
0: to go. It's like when my son comes home and he has B.O., I'm not like, oh, my God, I'm so afraid of you. I go, go take a shower.
1: Go take a shower.
0: You know, it's a cleansing. So as Christians, when we walk into a place that feels dark or oppressive, or we encounter someone who is battling darkness or anger or whatever it is, the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ is what brings the light and settles everything. Do you all remember, if you were here back in the fall, and I, I think I opened this up with this dream that I had where um, I kept walking around this house where the darkness was trying to take territory. And when I was walking around in my dream, I kept saying, the blood of Jesus covers this house. The blood of Jesus covers this house. And I just want to remind you right now on a side note, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the one thing the enemy really does not ever want you to fully understand, because when you understand the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, you realize that there is nothing that can stand against that. You are refused to be impressed by the darkness. Come on. It doesn't matter, because you, you carry the fragrance of Christ, you know the blood of Jesus— It's like a boundary. You lay it out, and the enemy cannot cross that. That's why when we anoint people, I anoint you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. And we are sealing you in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is a great mystery to us all. It's not something we are fully ever going to understand in our natural form, but it is the power and authority that we are to carry. It is the willing heart. It is the willing heart that that is marked by God. And it's the willing heart that is willing to risk for God. I woke up yesterday morning, and I just heard the word risk, risk over me. It was like it was in me, and I could hear it over me, and then I realized the Lord was tying it all together. And he says, what are you willing to risk to be touched by God? What are you willing to risk to be touched by God? Y'all, we can read stories all day long about the great men and women of God in, in the Bible and even in modern day or a century ago, And what we sometimes don't always understand is in their quiet, dark times, they are sitting there having to risk something to be touched by God. It wasn't like they were just touched by God because one day, you know, God just decided, well, I'm going to, you know, have favor in their life. They had to plow the unbroken ground. They had to get on their knees. They had to, at times, look at their family and say, no, I, I'm going after God, even if you think I'm crazy. Come on. They had to face, um, whether it was political or even racial situations where they had to go, at, you know, the whole Azusa Street. If you read about Charles and everything that he had to do to get the Azusa Street revival going, yes. it's, uh, he had to risk everything for God. What are we willing to risk for God? What are we willing to risk for God? Because risk will take courage. And my prayer last night was, Holy Spirit, I thought as I'm laying in bed, make me hunger more and more for God. I don't want to be satisfied in my walk with Jesus. I want to be in constant need of more of him. See, what's, what's strange about the word need or needy, in our culture we think, well, if you're needy, you're weak. If you're needy, you're inept. Or annoying. But to God, we are to live in constant need of Him. He wants us to be in that place of constant need. So our prayer is, Holy Spirit, make me hunger for more and more of God. I don't want to get satisfied in my walk. I mean, I'll be honest, y'all. You know, yesterday I didn't know I was speaking this morning until yesterday, at like 4:30, and Casey called me because she's not feeling well. And I had had, like, two business meetings and stuff going on last night. I didn't have time to even really think about this till 9 o'clock at night. And I have learned one thing. I will never, ever enter striving to stand up here. And when I felt like, oh, my God, and I thought, you know, I'm going to bed. It's 10 o'clock. I don't think well after 9.30, quite honestly. I've had too much sugar today. I'm tired. And I was like, Lord, we're either going to pull this together this morning. And I'm driving over here, and I'm just thinking in tears. I'm like, you know, God, you know I have nothing to say. Because all I have is you. Like, it's your platform. I didn't go to Bible school. I don't have a degree b- or, you know, a title behind my name. And I thought, thank God I don't. Because it is just raw of who he is for me. And that's all I have to share today. And, yes, would it be so much easier to sit at home in my sweats and be like, yeah, no, okay, so I don't think I can do that. I mean, yeah, there are t- I mean, this morning I'm just like, I'm not going to give in to anxiety because I risk standing up here. It's a risk to get up here. It's a risk for August to get up here and lead worship. It's a risk for Deborah to stand. I mean, we, we also are desiring of everyone's approval. You know, it's, it's really hard sometimes to disconnect from that. But the Lord is inviting us to disconnect from the approval of man and step into the glory of him. What are we willing to risk to be touched by God? Lord, teach me how to live in constant need of you so that I can be your mark on this earth. And in that place, then we are able to do all things through Christ, Philippians 4.13. I love how the Passion says it. It says, I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. That is awesome. I'm going to read that again. This is from the Passion Translation. I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. Not some, not a few, but every difficulty. And what I love about this verse is that it is void of any requirement on our part other than we acknowledge that we need him. It, does, it, it has no age requirement. There's no race requirement. There's no political requirement. There is no requirement on this verse, which means it is for all people, all ages, all places, all locations, all circumstances. All I need to know is that I need the strength of Christ and his explosive power working in me. That's Philippians 4.13. That's I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I read it from the Passion, which is, you know, I I love having that uh, more... Yes, explosive. Thank you. There'll be no greater accomplishment, reward, or acolyte than than when we fully live in the revelation, God for me, God in me, God living through me. There will be no greater reward, no greater accomplishment than when we fully are able to live in that while we are here in this body. My first ministry, it belongs to the Lord. My first ministry is not to my family. It's not to my friends. It's not to the phone call. My first ministry belongs to the Lord, which means my first responsibility, my first response that I am able to give every morning belongs to the Lord. My first response that I am able to give every morning belongs to the Lord. How many know that God lit the fire on the altar, but it was the priest's job to keep it burning? God lit the fire on the altar, but it was the priest's job to keep it burning. We are the priest, and on this side of the cross, we are the priest, which means it is up to me to keep my fire of God burning in me, and it is also my able response to keep the fire burning in those that God puts in my life. We are the priests by the cross. We are called to keep the fire burning and to literally be on fire. And I have been on fire, and praise God, I am alive. And I was like, well, amen, Lord. I, you know, if that's a prophetic uh, look, then let's, let's all be on, be on fire and unharmed. Anne Marie? Can I testimony to Yeah. Y'all know Anna Marie, the mama of this house? Like she, This whole reason Christ Healing Center slash one is here is because of Anna Marie and Jack. She is my spiritual mom. So, yes, I'm going to let her interrupt because she's my mama. <laughs>
1: this, this so backs up what you just taught us. I'll probably cry. It always gets me. Over six years ago, my husband Jack and I were with two friends in Washington, D.C. And the Lord had called us to walk the perimeter of the White House and pray in the spirit and pray in the spirit and pray in the spirit. Well, as we got around to the front of the White House, there was a Muslim man standing with a long scroll unrolled, and he was shouting at the top of his lungs to Allah. And nobody was paying him any attention. I mean, there are lots of tourists and, the, you know, the cops and stuff. Nobody's paying any attention. Well, I told Jack, I said, I want equal time. <laughs> so we went up to the where the man was, and at the top of our voices, everybody, probably louder than he was, we began to pray in the spirit and shout out to our God. And it was just on and on. And everybody moved. Oh, I wow. I mean, all the tourists wow. did this. And the cops put their hands on their guns and started approaching us. And I looked, I it out and I said, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and the cops came and talked to my friends and Jack. But this is what really I wanted to share. As I was walking away, there were two young men in their 20s carrying big TV cameras on their shoulders walking towards us. And one of, they walked up to me and they said, you're Christian. And I said, yes, how do you know? He said, before, now, y'all listen to this, before we heard the sound of your words, we felt the power of them. Oh, <laughs> amen. Wow. Before they heard the sound, they felt the power. Yes. It still rocks into to day. That is amazing. You know, we live in this power. And, you know, it's like you get, you get used to yelling. You, you don't even recognize you're hearing it. But those two guys, they were from, they were from Pakistan. They were, they were used to living in this all that war constantly. And they knew by the feeling of the power of the sound of our words that we were Christians. Amen. <laughs> so y'all don't discount what you carry. Because when you go out in, in faith and in Goshen, man, I'll tell you what,
0: you change the world. Yeah. That's, awesome. <laughs> That's so good. That is so awesome. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, I always think, you know, if someone calls me or, or talks to me or, or needs prayer is a need, is I always think, you know, I hope they get a tall drink of hope in Jesus Christ after that conversation. I hope they are infused to carry the power and authority that we have. I hope I don't just leave someone with a um, uh, simple sympathy because Jesus was not sympathetic. I mean, he was compassionate, but he was not sympathetic. He didn't meet people in pity. He met them in power and authority. In Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, because Christ is going to make you able and strong. See, my first obligation and allegiance is to Jesus the moment I open my eyes, and then at that posture flows my earthly responsibilities, the responses that I'm able to give here on earth. I was reading in Hebrews 2-7 out of the mirror. This is a different translation, and I loved um, exactly what he said. It's going to tie in so well with what Anna Marie just shared. God has made man all but equal to himself. He crowned man with his own glory and dignity and appointed him in a position of authority over all the works of God's hands. Y'all, we are crowned with glory and dignity which means if I'm clothing myself in shame, it's a lie. It means I am wearing worthlessness, I'm under a lie. If I am wrapping myself up in guilt, I'm under a lie. We are clothed in glory and dignity, every single one of us that has accepted Jesus Christ. And this is the exciting thing. If you hear one thing today, I want you to hear this. If you write one thing down, I want you to write this one thing down. Jesus is what God believes about us. Jesus is what God believes about us. When he looks at you and me, he sees Jesus. His thoughts about us are what he believes about Jesus Christ. There is not one thing you are going, one action that you're going to have that's ever going to persuade him to think differently about you. He cannot think bad about you. We are appointed with authority. This is the one place where we... um, I think one day this spring I'll speak just on authority because we uh, as Christians have laid this down for years and years and years. And what Anne Marie was saying is what those men heard was the authority that was getting ready to come through her mouth reciting scripture. See, we understand power. We all know God is power. But we also think, well, the enemy has power. He does. He has power. But he does not have authority. You have authority. Y'all, we are in charge of putting God in charge. We are in charge of putting God in charge, which means it doesn't matter what your situation is. Whether you have a child who's not walking with the Lord, whether you are facing an illness, a sickness, whether um, something, you know, just happened, like, you know, this whole fire thing. I mean, it terrified me, and I cried, and I just thought, okay, wait a second, God, what are you saying? Like, I was not going to let trauma be in charge, I was going to put God in charge because we are in charge of putting God in charge. Any place that is lacking in peace, any place that is lacking in hell, any place that is lacking in the glory of God, that's where we're called to put God in charge. Which means even if you're reading the news, as a Christian and something is disturbing to you, you pray about it. You don't call up your friend and be like, I'm so worried about this, and this is so bad. And you are laying down your authority. You, you are to use the executive authority of Jesus Christ to change that situation. That's what it means to carry the authority of God. What if every time we got worried or we had worry come across our screen, we saw it as a stop sign to put God in charge? What if every time fear came across my screen, I saw it as a flashing light? Oh, God needs to be in charge here. What if every time anxiety wanted to have a conversation, I went, oh, God needs to be in charge here. See, we don't, we, don't tr- we don't train ourselves enough to say, wait a minute, God, you need to be in charge here, not this. It doesn't matter what a doctor says or a person says. Yes, we listen to all of that, but then we have the authority to put God in charge of this situation. <clears throat> in Psalm 95, I, I happened to come across this psalm last week as I was sort of unpacking all of this, and, and I'm going to read it out of the, the Passion translation, and if you want to pull it up on your phone, I'd love for you to do that. I'm going to go through it a little bit, because it's sort of the second half of this. I want to I want to bolster everything i said with Psalm 95, because once the Lord led me there, I went, oh, wow, okay, this all comes together so well. I'm going to read through it, and um, then I want to unpack it a little bit with y'all. It, it it says, Psalm 95. Come on, everyone, let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout our loudest praises to our God who saved us. Everyone, come meet his face with a thankful heart. Don't hold back your praises. Make him great by your shouts of joy. For the Lord is the greatest of all, King God over all other gods. In one hand, he holds the mysteries of the earth, and in the other, he holds the highest mountain peaks. He's the owner of every ocean the engineer and sculptor of earth itself. Come and kneel before this creator God. Come and bow before the mighty God, our majestic maker. For we are the lovers he cares for, and he is the God we worship. So drop everything else and listen to his voice. For this is what he's saying. Today when I speak, don't even think about turning a deaf ear to me, like they did when they tested me in Meribah and Massa, the place where they argued with me, their creator. Your ancestors challenged me over and over with their complaining, even though I'd convinced them of my power and love. They still doubted my care for them. So for 40 long years, I was grieved and disgusted by them. I described them as wicked wanderers whose hearts would not follow my ways or keep my words. So I made a vow in my anger and declared they will never enter the resting place I planned for them. So don't ever be hard-hearted or stubborn like they were. This starts out, this whole psalm starts out, and I think this is so important to understand. It starts out with, what is our response, our response to God? We are to sing joy to the Lord, shout praises, come meet his face with a thankful heart, and our praises. Then it moves into who is God. He is the greatest of all, the King God over all gods. He holds mysteries of the earth, holds highest peaks, owns every ocean, He is the engineer and the sculptor of earth. He is creator God. He is the majestic maker. And this is who we are, the lovers that he cares for. We worship him. We drop everything and listen to his voice. We are not to be hard-hearted or stubborn. See, there was a warning in this psalm from God. This was the one thing that kept them from being remarkable. There were two things in here. God says they doubted me. This is unbelief. They doubted me. When we doubt God, it grieves him. It makes us restless wanderers because we're so preoccupied with satisfying ourselves. It distracts us from following his ways and it blinds us to his word when we doubt God. I remember in 2017, it was a really challenging year and I remember the Lord just gave me this one strategy and, and it was when I didn't have faith things, there were a lot of things that I felt like I didn't have faith for. I would begin to declare, "God, I have faith in Your faith for this." God, I have faith in Your faith for this. See, I was refused to move into a place of unbelief because that unbelief will lead me to being to complaining. And when you complain, it's a circular thinking that is called toiling in the Bible. When it says they toiled, they complained, they whined, they grumbled. That is the opposite of having a thankful heart. We are. It positions us for unbelief when I am constantly complaining because all I'm doing is meditating on the problem. I would rather exaggerate God's goodness than than fall into unbelief because I don't think we could ever exaggerate how good God is. I would rather be presumptuous of how great God is than think he can't do it. It's really fascinating to me, the one question I get the most, especially when it's uh, physical healing, is why, well, isn't that, aren't you giving them false hope? Like, what if God doesn't heal them? One, there's nothing in the Bible that God says that is false. Two, everything in the Bible God says is for us. He is for us. Which means it would be contrary to my divine nature in the way that he created me to believe that he wouldn't want to heal anyone. Jesus healed every single person that he saw, and Jesus is perfect theology. So I never go there. God will heal. When, how, I don't know. But I refuse to step into unbelief. And it is not false hope when you hand someone Jesus Christ. Jesus always moves. I've never not seen Jesus move. I've never not seen Jesus move. One of the things God said at the very end, and I think this is, is um, to me, one of the most important uh, understandings or revelations we can have, is he said, they never entered my rest. Mm-hmm. And the understanding of God's rest, really in my own life, has become very much a secret weapon. Entering the rest of God is a place where you enjoy God and you allow God to enjoy you. Rest does not mean that I sit there and I'm like, woof, all right, wow, okay, this is, I'm just going to rest. That's not what God did on the day that He rested. He enjoyed, He celebrated His creation. So when God says to enter my rest, that entering his rest is this place of enjoyment where I am enjoying God and I'm allowing God to enjoy me and I am celebrating the complete work of Jesus Christ. I'm celebrating that complete work of Jesus Christ knowing God left nothing undone, that all is working together for his good. It is, it's, it's that place of yielding to the success of the cross. That's what entering his rest is. In Hebrews 3.18, in the mirror translation, it says, God's invitation does not exclude anyone from possessing his rest, but their unbelief does. When we doubt God, we are not able to enter his rest, which means we always move from a place of rushing and striving, which means um, it's, it's hard... It's hard to move from that, uh, that position when we're feeling anxious and unbelieving about God. We never have that full confidence that the gospel promises. And we wonder, well, why does everyone else have it, but I don't? I would say just check, check if there's any unbelief about God. In Hebrews 3.19, he goes on to say, The point is this, even though they, the Israelites, lived by supernatural means in the wilderness for 40 years, they failed to grasp what God had in mind for them. Their own unbelief disqualified them. See, it had nothing to do with whether or not they were worthy or not. It was their own unbelief that disqualified them. We're always ready to blame someone else or God or something else because we're not getting our way. You know, we've all grown up in that culture of have it your way. And that is not how um, God's order, God's kingdom works. He is the God of all, and it will be his way. And we can step into his rest and enjoy him and his way and allow him to enjoy us. How, I mean, think about that. How often do you allow God to enjoy you? Mm-hmm. It's a very different posture than coming to God because I have a prayer list and I have a request and I have a need and I'm, I'm in pain. How often are we allowing God to enjoy us just simply by being together, by worshiping and 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 speaking and allowing his sweetness to to fall upon us on Monday I was here we do a little uh business or corporate type thing at one and, and so one of the things Casey was like everybody to see what God is speaking to you right now and the Lord said you know Ashley I just want to release my sweetness and at first I kind of thought okay I mean that's okay but you know to me I've I'm, I'm always been like the take charge the fire the anointing the power and I'm like sweetness and I was like, well, okay, and, 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 this, and he began to explain, you know, my sweetness is a covering. It's not just, it's a covering that you would walk under. My sweetness is what is what approaches the heart of heart and melts them. Oh, how amazing would that be for all those in our life that live with a stubborn, stiff neck heart of heart that we would walk under the sweetness of God and when we would just be with that person, that the Lord would just melt them with his holy oil. We wouldn't have to say the right thing. We wouldn't have to do the right thing simply because the sweetness of God is dripping off of us. The heart of heart would melt. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's the place of his rest. That's the place of enjoying the sweetness of God. Jesus is what God believes about you. Are you willing to believe him? Are you willing to let him make you remarkable? I'd love to pray over you all, and if you feel like you can stand and put your hand on your heart, I would love to do that. repeat after me. If you're willing. <clears throat> Lord, I desire to believe you. Lord, I, to believe you. I, know you are I know you are willing. I know you are able to do more than I can ask. I believe you. I believe you. I, believe you want for me. I believe you want greatness for me. I believe you want full health for me. I believe you want full health for me. I believe you want your glory to fall upon me. You fall me. Lord, help me push past Lord, help me push past any unbelief, any unbelief trying, to take in my life. trying to take territory in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just release your sweetness in this room, Father God, that every single woman in here would leave here with such a sweet aroma of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father God, that in your gentleness and in your tenderness right now, you are equipping these women to walk through the fire and not get burned. I thank you for the supernatural covering each and every one of them and their families. I thank you that whatever they're receiving today, Lord, you're just extending it to their families and to their loved ones. In fact, every single loved one or family member on your heart right now, the Lord is saying they are in here too. They are receiving this too. And I just thank you, Father God, that they walk with such holy boldness, with such glory and such dignity. And I thank you, Father God, that you are equipping them to hold up the integrity of your word that they will not be moved by discord they will not be impressed by darkness I thank you that wherever they go you are giving them territory in Jesus name amen if anybody wants prayer we've got a prayer team up here if you would like more prayer other than that we will see you next week thanks so much for coming and bless you